hello and you're very welcome to Mind You, where I dive into how different people use different ways to self-care. I'm Brian Barnes from Brian Barnes Wellbeing, where I partner with people to create unique wellbeing solutions. Today, I'm delighted to be talking to Stuart Cook. Stuart has a huge passion for serving and minding others through his work as a life coach, specializing in supporting victims of narcissistic abuse. So Stuart, thank you so much for joining me today. Good morning, Brian. Many thanks to you indeed for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Stuart, and you're so welcome. And Stuart, can you start off by telling me a bit about yourself and how you got to here? Sure. Um, I would describe my roots to this as conventionally unconventional. Um, what do I mean by that? Most therapists, counselors, life coaches um, will typically follow some sort of route of um, you know, psychology degree, for example. Um, I, I didn't come in that route. You know, I came in through the, the life experience route. I actually started life as, a, as an engineer. My first degree is in civil engineering. Um, and, and after that, I actually joined the army. I went to Sandhurst. I joined the, the Royal Engineers, served with the Queen's Gurkha Engineers. Um, and I did that for um, my short service commission, which lasted just over four years. And then on leaving, after my time was up, I went back to university. I did a, an MBA. And I was a management consultant for a number of years um, between uh, London and New York, where I specialized in financial services and what I'd call e-enablement, so helping companies reinvent themselves for working on the internet. And had a great time doing that, right up until 9-11. I was actually working uh, on a project in New York when that happened. Fortunately, I was in London on the day. And that whole um, profession, that, that area, just um, stopped overnight almost. And so um, it coincided with a stage in life of having kids and what have you. And so my wife and I at the time decided to um, take some time out, take a sabbatical and move to France where we continued our passion for renovating old houses with a view to buying a a little French cottage, renovating it uh, over a couple of years or so keeping it and then going back to the city to pursue our careers. And actually, we really enjoyed it uh, living in France, and so we decided to to stay. Um, Where, in order to earn money, I I started a business with her um, around estate agency. So we were selling and helping um, owners of prestige properties, lovely big chateau and domains, um, buy and sell and then rent them out. Um, which was great. Yeah, it's, um, it was a, a fun job. We both enjoyed um, doing it. Throughout this time, um, in fact, for most of my adult life, I've been or had been with this this lady. We met at university. I was a bit older than her. I was in my final year of, uh, um, at university, age 21. She just joined at uh, age 13. Uh, sorry, 18, where she was um, studying to be a lawyer. In fact. Um, and I would categorize our first 10 years together as good, but challenging. The challenge coming from external factors. So, you know, when I left after the, you know, her first year at university, I went to Sandhurst and thereafter I was you know, on all, all corners of the world. Um, and when after four years I came back, she had started bar school and a new job. And yeah, we were like, 
ships passing in the night. Um, but after a while, things started settling down. We got married. We bought a house together um, and started having kids, which is when we then moved to, to France. I would describe our relationship as really good. We had some amazing times together. But throughout the whole thing, there was just something off. Um, it seemed to me that we weren't really quite on the, the same team. There seemed to be an invisible, sort of an account going on of, of point scoring, nothing that was really significant. And when I would talk to friends and family about the little niggles that clearly every couple have, um, everyone just thought that you know, it was just perfectly normal. And so I did too. Um, and certainly it was understandable to, to write off these little niggles as we're both just under you know, a lot of pressure um, as we climbed the, you know, the, the property ladder and you know, tackled all of these renovations, which were very significant. You know, we were living in, in a building site for a, a lot of our, um, our married life, frankly, um, with young kids. Um, but we kind of got to that stage where we started running out of excuses for there being problems in the marriage. Anyone else looking on would have thought that we were the golden couple. You know, we ended up with this lovely um, French chateau that hadn't been lived in for 25 years. We renovated it. It was stunning. It was immaculate. Um, businesses were going well, etc. But these problems just carried on. Um, you know, a lot of silent treatments, you know, where I was to live in the, the spare room. Nothing kind of got resolved. Little odd things happening um, far too frequently. And we then went through a period of a number of years talking to three you know, over the period um, marriage guidance counselors and none of them could really spot what the problem was um, we would often meet these these people together we'd you know, discuss our kind of issues and then i would go off and do one-on-one -on -one counseling and she would go off and do one-on-one -on -one counseling and during that sort of time I, I always felt that i got on well with these counselors but they weren't really telling me anything that i i didn't already know and I, I didn't really have any sort of massive revelations as to what I was doing wrong and I would kind of it seems to me that our sessions are going well yeah how are you getting on with with her and there was always a little bit of pushback and well yeah she's not quite at the same stage that you're at and yeah it's a little bit more of a challenge but nothing too so concrete and then we had a, um, a huge row one day where it was very clear that she was in the wrong um, and she just couldn't deny it you know, at all. But she just wouldn't apologize. And not only would she not apologize, but she wouldn't let this argument go you know, after I'd walked out. You know, she pulled me back in and she wouldn't let it go until she forced me into um, myself apologizing, which for the first time in our, in our married life, I didn't do. <laughs> I pushed back. And... It was it was a very formative moment where the penny really dropped with me that there was something majorly wrong. And so I turned to, to Google and I looked up something, you know, I guessed, at can never be wrong syndrome. And that took me to a page that started describing this thing about which I'd never heard called narcissistic personality disorder. And a lot of the discussion 
about this disorder, a lot of the so-called red flags, just seem to describe us down to a T. And I thought that, you know, I had at last stumbled over, you know, what the, the problem was. And it just so happened that we had had a good friend visit us, a long-term family friend of, of mine, who himself is a counsellor. And throughout that, that week that he was staying with us, there was problems, there was an atmosphere. And so I called him up and I asked him for some advice. And I said, look, you know, I've just found this thing called narcissistic personality disorder. Do you know anything about it? And he said straight away, look, I'm so glad that, that you have stumbled across this yourself. Um, I was very, very concerned while I was staying with you. You're in a lot of trouble and you really need some help fast, which quite surprised me. And he ended up recommending a, a therapist that um, he works with very closely. It's actually his mentor who he felt really knew this disorder very well. And so I contacted her and I explained my situation. She confirmed that she was an expert in this disorder and, um, and yeah, accepted me as a, as a client. But straight away suggested that in addition to talking to me, she could also talk to my wife and there was a good chance that she would be able to bring us together. Now, at this stage, I'd only just found out about NPD. I hadn't really started researching it, and I didn't realize just what a massive error that was. Um, and to cut a six-month-long story short, that woman very nearly pushed me to suicide because essentially it became very clear after a long time that she didn't understand NPD. And she was trying to give me the right tools, but for completely the wrong job. In hindsight, she should have been rescuing me from the relationship and protecting me and helping me make sense of it. But instead, she was trying to get us together again. And um, throughout that, that period, my wife started to, um, to have an affair and it really very nearly pushed me over the edge. Um, and so that is, is, is how I, I you know, arrived at, at where I am. I started researching it myself like crazy. Uh, I started buying books. I was going on to things like Quora, I was engaging in forums on Facebook and talking to, um, uh, to, to other victims of it. And what I found was that um, on Facebook, particularly, a lot of these forums just seem to be extremely hostile towards men. And I began to realize that actually a lot of people in this, this area of helping narcissistic um, abuse survivors recover and make sense of, of what's just happened are themselves narcissists um, and particularly women having a very, I'm sad to say, you know, very anti-male stance. And so I was coming to the, the rescue of other men on these, these forums and, you know, we'd end up talking um, offline. And I, I, I started really enjoying the help that I was able to, to give to these guys. Um, and we were all very surprised at the, the gender bias. Because frankly, um, NPD affects men and women. You know, men and women are all victims of it. And most genuine survivors of narcissistic abuse are very kind and compassionate and sympathetic towards other um, survivors. And so there was this big mismatch that just didn't seem to be well reflected in therapists, counselors, etc. Um, and so that is why I started my pre my practice to essentially create a service um, aimed at helping men. 
as it's actually turned out, my practice has turned out to be pretty much 50 50. Um, obviously, the, the guys um, enjoy working with me because I really understand their problems as it re relates to, to men, because I think we do have some, some special um, problems and, and challenges um, from society. Um, but I'm also very pleasantly surprised at how many uh, lady clients I have. Um, and when I talk to them, the reason for it is, is twofold. A, I seem to, to get it and be able to communicate it um, so much better than, than other people in their view. And secondly, they actually appreciate having a, a man help them because that helps them rebuild their trust in, in men. And so that's, that's why I am today, Brian. Wow, that's fascinating, Stuart. What a journey you've been on. And thank you for sharing that with me and being so honest and open about that. And Stuart, diving deeper into how you mind others, like your life mm. coach specializing in supporting victims of narcissistic abuse. Like when someone comes to you, you know, like kind of, you know, where do you start off with them? So I, I have two, two parts of the practice. You know, one is free. Uh, and the other is, is paid. And the free service, you know, I'm very happy to give anyone out there who thinks that they might be a victim of narcissistic abuse 15 minutes of my time for free. And it's like a, a triage service. Technically, to diagnose someone with NPD, when I say NPD, we're really talking cluster B personality disorders, which includes psychopaths and sociopaths. A lot of people have no idea. They've never heard of narcissistic personality disorder. And they think that a narcissist is, is essentially a vain teenager that, that likes doing selfies. That's not true at all. Um, narcissistic personality disorder is the underlying root of um, psychopaths and sociopaths as well, um, which is both terms that, that people are perhaps a little bit more familiar with, albeit a little bit um, skewed from Hollywood. Um, and so to, to diagnose someone um, officially, one should... Um, have to go to you know, the, 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 the client, that the person really should have to um, consult with a psychiatrist over a period of time who is looking for eight criteria where you know, the client has to meet five in order to get a positive diagnosis. The problem with narcissistic personality disorder is no narcissist will ever accept that they're in any way to blame at all. And so they will never submit themselves to a diagnosis with a psychiatrist. And so I don't diagnose, but I help validate people's experience of their boyfriends, their girlfriend, their husbands, their, their parents, their siblings, um, their work colleagues, their friends, their son-in-law, daughter-in-law, um, as well as, and I've you know, had over the years, um, people for whom the, the narcissist in their life has actually been a professional. So someone like a, a church pastor or a psychologist, a therapist, um, their divorce lawyer the judge, um, or indeed police, social services, child protection services, etc. And so for 15 minutes, <clears throat> I'm very happy to have a chat with anyone just to, to help understand or help them understand um, their experience. And um, if it proves to be the case, or at least it, it shows to be the case that they are dealing with a narcissist, a psychopath, or a sociopath, then <clears throat> at least I can help point them in the right direction of, um, of how to heal. If they choose to, to work with me, then great. And you know, I, I work uniquely on the, the internet. And my support to them really falls into to three broad categories. I, I liken it to um, uh, legs of a, a three-legged stool. The first one 
is, is understanding narcissistic personality disorder. Because we as, as humans instinctively assume that other people um, have the same emotional and psychological makeup as we do. Um, and therefore, <clears throat> yeah, we, we trust, we engage in them, we, we treat them as normal people. But the, the sad reality is that a narcissist has a mindset that is totally counterintuitive to what we expect. And when I say counterintuitive, even psychologists don't understand what a, you know, how a, 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 um, a narcissist works. The only people that really do are survivors of narcissistic abuse for whom the abuse lost over a long period of time and was complicated, and they've worked really hard to, to make sense of it. Those are the only people that really get what it is that other uh, victims are going through. And so the way that I, I work with them to, to help them understand this, this mindset, bearing in mind that their experience of narcissists might be completely different to someone else. Yeah, narcissists aren't a specific type of people. You get covert ones, you get um, overt ones, you get, um, um, I forget what the, the words I'm looking for, somatic, either, uh, i.e. that you know, they, they take pride in their physical um, body versus cerebral, they take pride in their, their intellect. There are so many different little um, um, ways in which narcissists are different. And so I have to, to essentially paint a picture for, for these people that matches their experience. I liken it to, to building a, a jigsaw puzzle together. So imagine that, that you're given a jigsaw puzzle. On the front of the box, there's no photo of the, the picture that you're trying to assemble. And when you open up the box, there are a thousand different pieces. They're all unique in shape. They all fit together in a certain way, but they're all blank. And that is the challenge facing people like us. You know, we've we found out about NPD, but my goodness, you know, where on earth do we start to, to make sense of this puzzle? And Essentially, the, the work that I do is, is helping people um, identify those, those little pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, color them in, and then put them into the, the right place. And so people generally have heard of things like Jekyll and Hyde, the split personality. People might have heard of the term gaslighting. Um, people know what pathological lying looks like. Each of those are individual pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that need to fit into their that the picture and as we make sense of all of these little issues and and understand how projection and gaslighting relates to pathological lying and the Jekyll and Hyde you know, split personality and a whole myriad of, of other um, small little pieces that picture begins to materialize and um, the victims start to realize what it is that they've been through and therefore what it is that, the, that they need to do about it so that's the first leg the second leg is, is helping clients rebuild their self-esteem because the reality of a relationship with a narcissist is that over the course of that relationship, the narcissist is actually trying to destroy our self-identity, our self-esteem, our self-confidence. Um, it's like a parasitic relationship that as they are sucking us dry of, of our self-esteem, they're propping up their own very fragile ego. Um, and so... Yeah, a lot of clients will report that yeah, the, the, the narcissist was very disparaging about every little part of their, their self-identity. And so yeah, we all 
and build our self-identity on a number of complex things, you know, our looks, our physique, our dress sense, our style, our relationships with friends and family, our career, the car that we drive, the house that we live in, our intellect, our faith, our sensuality, you know, the languages that we speak, the musical instruments that we play, etc. Every single one of those will have been under attack by the narcissist very, very subtly. So it's difficult to really put your finger on it, but very subtly over the course of the, the relationship. And we liken it to a, a, like a, a death by a thousand cuts. You know, there's no one hammer blow, but it's this accumulation of little slights of never being able to apologize, etc., that leads us as victims to lose our complete sense of self. And so a lot of my work is helping people rebuild their, their, their mental health, their psychological strength, their emotional strength, as well as their physical health. And so a lot of the work that I'm doing is you know, working on nutrition, on lifestyle, um, on their mindset, on their mindfulness, to essentially rebuild them back up again um, as an adult, because even though they look like an adult and they talk like an adult and they have the intellect of an, an, an adult, most victims will regularly admit that you know, they're just emotional husks. You know, they're, they're nothing compared with the person that they were. So we need to rebuild them, make them strong again. And then the third area that I, I help clients with is um, developing tactics and strategies to essentially turn the tables on narcissists. Um, the sad reality is that narcissists just do not play by the rules that you and I do. They literally cannot feel certain regulating emotions, sympathy, compassion, empathy, love. They literally cannot feel love. And so all of these, those emotions that, that guide us towards being decent human beings, they just don't have. Um, the, the facade of the charming Dr. Jekyll will act like they can, but the reality of the very toxic Mr. Hyde, their, their authentic self, the real person they are underneath, is actually very, very toxic. Um, and they have no remorse. They have no guilt about the harm that they do to you. And I say the harm that they do to you. My experience of being pushed close to suicide is shared by the vast majority of my clients. And so if ever you know, your listeners have a situation where you know, they feel that they're so demoralized, so depressed that they're being pushed into suicide, the chances are that they're, they're living with or they've got close to them, family member maybe, or even a work colleague, a narcissist. And so how do we protect ourselves against them? A lot of my work, particularly in the initial stages, is getting clients to a position of safety. I'm going to say a position of safety, I said, physical you know, how, how do you actually move house and protect yourself so that you, you, you're not being bugged you know there are trackers you know having trackers put on your car um, how do you actually separate yourself from um, from the narcissist and their relentless calls emails texts etc they're stalking um, so that that's you know, the, the the first step thereafter I start helping them learn you know, more advanced tactics you know, how do we spot narcissists much earlier in the relationship because the reality is that um, narcissists, psychopaths and sociopaths between them number at least 10% of the population, at least. And some psychologists think that it's actually much higher, that it's probably close to 20-25%. That's a staggering number of people when you think that one in five, one in four of your friends, people on Facebook for example, could well be a secret narcissist, psychopath or sociopath. So how do we spot them? And if we have our suspicions about them, how do we test those suspicions uh, and get them to, to reveal themselves? Um, 
how do we establish boundaries so that we don't succumb to, to, to further narcissistic abuse? How do we keep them at, at bay? And thereafter, how do we start exploiting their Achilles heels? How do we make ourselves invincible towards you know, to, to narcissistic abuse? How do we help the narcissist expose themselves? Because frankly, if you try and expose a narcissist and you're on hiding to nothing, you're gonna um, have all hell break loose. But what we can do is, is cleverly trip them up so that actually they expose themselves to other people, which in turn weakens their position, helps us get stronger by comparison. How do we help other people, other um, potential boyfriends, girlfriends, other work colleagues, other family members? How do we help them see the, the reality of the toxic Mr. Hyde? Um, going on to how do we divorce these people? You and I, if you know, we get into a situation where sadly the relationship hasn't worked and, and we want to divorce, we're reasonable about it. You know, we, we want our, our soon-to-be ex-partner to get on with their life and succeed and what have you, particularly if we're co-parenting together. A narcissist doesn't want to let you go there. They really don't. Um, and so they will do anything to obstruct and drag out the divorce process. Um, how do we manage them as co-parents? because we can be very, very good at cutting ties with, with narcissists, but if we have kids with them, it's one tie that we just cannot cut. And so managing them as co-parents is, is very, very challenging, as is helping the children themselves manage their own stuff, because the sad reality is that they're also being psychologically abused by the narcissist. Um, and obviously it's not all about um, partners, Sometimes you've got work colleagues, bosses, family members, teammates, friends, etc. How do we um, manage all of those relationships? Because as I've kind of pointed out, the prevalence of, of NPD is such that even if we get this relationship cracked and resolved, we're certainly going to meet other people who are also narcissists, psychopaths and sociopaths, whom we just need to, to manage that relationship. There's just no avoiding people. And so we have to learn how to... Uh, uh, how to, to manage them. So that's so broadly is is the way that I, I support my my clients. Um, sometimes you know, I can turn people around very very quickly, um, get things resolved. With other clients, it's a it's a much longer um, ongoing process, but it, it seems to work very well. Wow, that's fascinating, Stuart. And I suppose we've talked before, and I in the only in the last kind of few years have realized that I was in a few narcissistic relationships. And I think, you know, the the, 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 the the key for me was, you know, that kind of, and I suppose having done a lot of the work that you've done and research and kind of, it's that radical acceptance. And it's it's almost bittersweet because, you know, you have to, you have to really look at, at the particular relationship and accept all the all the kind of indicators that you could be dealing with someone that's toxic and that's yeah. so hard to do because as you said like we want to you know most people have empathy and compassion and they want to kind of see the best in people so it's really about radical acceptance of you know who you're dealing with isn't it right but i i can pretty much guarantee that any difficult relationship that you've encountered in fact you know we all have work colleagues, bosses, family, whatever. We, we've all encountered them at some stage in the past. Yeah. Right back to the, the school ground bully. The school ground bully is, is literally just a, a narcissist in, in training. 
not, NPD happens in, in the first five years of life. But when we get to, to school, you know, a narcissist is already um, joining gangs, bullying other people. That's all um, narcissistic abuse. Um, and so you can pretty much guarantee that any difficult relationship like that you've had, the underlying cause is narcissistic personality disorder, and it's pathological narcissism that's at the core of psychopaths and sociopaths. Yeah, we've, we've all experienced it at some stage. Absolutely. And I think to add to that, Stuart, like, you know, like with the podcast that I do, you know, it's about self-care and kind of you mm. know, um, building resilience from the inside out. And I think, yeah. again, in the stages of realizing that you're dealing with a narcissist, with a toxic person, you know, after that radical acceptance and after those tactics that you talked about, you know, the, the best thing to do is to take the focus off the other person and onto yourself, isn't it? Like, you know, like that kind of to really start working on your self-care and going back to your foundation and building that strong resilience. You are absolutely right. Um, and, and the reality, sadly, is that, and this is why the work is so important, that we, we move on from all the ruminations, we cut all those ties. Because every time that we're ruminating, about that failed relationship. Every time that we, we get dragged down by it, sucks back into it, um, every time that something goes wrong or is demoralizing, we're essentially re-traumatizing ourselves because our body can't tell the difference between historical trauma that's been invited back into our, our present day versus um, trauma that's happening in the here and now. Exactly. So, so you're, so just, you're, you're, that, you're just marinating yeah. yourself. You're just re-marinating yourself in that trauma. Exactly right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Which is why life coaching, frankly, is so important so that we can help um, flip our, our focus to the future, um, which is much more optimistic and, and positive and invite into our, our present day hope and optimism for you know, much rosier days ahead. Um, and, and, and essentially what in doing that, we are tricking our body into, into recovering much, much quicker. Absolutely. And again, and you touched on Stuart, really, you know, the, um, you know, the, the big kind of factor in this is having children with someone that's, that's narcissistic, because if there's no children, I suppose, you know, you can walk off or run off into the sunset, yeah. but it's that kind of co-parenting piece. And, you know, I suppose the, the approach that's advised is a parallel parenting where, you know, you're kind of like parallel, you know, you're co-parenting, but you're, you know, you're on different tracks because, right. you know, the, the usual rules don't apply. Um, could you talk a little bit about that parallel parenting? It's so, so very true. You, you've hit the nail on the head. You know, the, the reality um, of having kids with narcissists is that kids themselves are being abused very subtly in the same way that, that you as the, you know, the spouse were. Um, but the difference is that you as an adult are much better positioned to make much more sense of all this, not least because you've had much more experience of healthy relationships. Those poor kids have been born into you know, a dysfunctional parent and they don't really know anything better. And so very often we find that there's only one person on the planet who understands what those children are going through and who's their protector and their advocate, and that's the other parent. And just as you're trying to, to love and support and, um, and help these children work through their stuff, so the narcissist is trying to undo all of your good work and to essentially alienate you 
as as a parent, um, and, and it's it's a very very challenging situation. Um, I'd like to say that I've got it absolutely right. To be perfectly honest, I've yet to come across anyone who has written a book on on this particular topic who I feel has has got it right. And so, to a certain extent, we're all guessing in the, the dark a little bit. I personally um, divert from um, conventional wisdom. Conventional wisdom says, you know, never speak ill of the other parent. Um, but the reality is that a healthy parents will teach their, their children not to lie, not to steal, not to bully, not to abuse. Exactly. And, and exactly. they're extremely confused when they see you know, dad, in my case, saying all these things. And then when they look at their mum, the mum's doing all of these things and no one's holding the mum to account. And yeah. so that is, is very, very challenging for, for children. Um, and so I, I think that we have to be a little bit more open and honest with children, even if they are young. And it, it's difficult. It really is. Well, even, I suppose, you know the way to say um, hate, like, you know, like hate the sin, but love the sinner. So even, I suppose, e- even to be able to point out to children that, you know, lo- you know, like, let's say lying isn't isn't good is it or like driving too fast isn't good mm. and so you're, you're not kind of pointing the finger at the other parents but you're pointing the you're you're, you're kind of you know you're um, shining a light on the action on, on the behavior do you know what i mean so it's it's very subtle i think actually maybe that's something we could look at Stuart, is working on um, a project on parallel parenting because yeah you know it's 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 it's, it's a topic as you know very close to my heart as well so it's something we yeah. can look at yeah but look, thank you so much for sharing that with me, Stuart. Go on. No, 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 no problem. I, I was just going to say, I mean, my, my personal view on, on the whole co-parenting issue is that a lot of the psychology profession in this space um, haven't got it right. And to be perfectly honest, I actually suspect a number of the so-called experts of being narcissists themselves. And it, you know, it's a, sadly, psychology as a general profession and child protective services etc as a specialization is a very typical career that narcissists will be attracted to and so if any of your listeners feel that they're actually being let down by social services by lawyers by judges um divorce courts you know the whole system that's probably why it's it's because somewhere in there you know is a narcissist who's who's actually um deriving a lot of um sadistic pleasure from your pain and from the pain of the, the children, um, and they are just not incentivized. You know, hence, coming back to the counterintuitive mindset of the, the narcissist, they're just not rooting for the kids at all. Absolutely, absolutely. As, again, as we know, that, that because of that lack of empathy and compassion and that kind of you know, insight into how other people feel. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for sharing that with me. And there's so much really good information in there. And can you tell me now how you mind you? Yeah, um, it's, it's a challenge because, frankly, you know, a lot of victims of narcissistic abuse are typical empaths, um, and we're much better at looking after people, um, you know, other people than we are ourselves. So I do have to be quite disciplined about how I, I look after me. I'm very careful about what I eat now. Um, whole foods, I avoid um, processed foods. I cook. Uh, you know, I, I don't eat so many raw foods anymore. Um, I'm careful about the alcohol that I drink um, and limit that. I try and do exercise daily. Um, my preference is going for a long bike ride, but if the weather is so awful or it's dark or whatever, I'll, I'll go for a walk instead. Um, both of my forms of exercise 
uh, are very specifically outdoors because I think fresh air and getting close to, to nature is very, very important you know, for that energetic connection. I'm big into mindfulness now, so I try and meditate for 20 minutes um, daily. And I'm very careful with my thoughts. And we've touched on this just now, that actually we need to get to a stage where we can park the negative historical thoughts and we can instead focus on much more positive, optimistic um, thoughts about the future. Some people call it manifesting. Um, I'm careful with my friendships. The reality is that the divorce, you know, I lost a lot of friends who I thought were my friends, but actually turned out not to be. And there are a number of people since that I've had my suspicions, and I'm very happy to, to sideline. Um, and now I've embraced a very different set of friends who much closer you know, reflect um, who I am now and not the person that I, I used to be. Um, I've thrown myself into to hobbies because the reality of what we go through is that it overloads the cognitive right-hand side of our brain, which um, is, is fine for a short period of time, but when it becomes an ongoing pattern, we need to strike a much better balance. And so I always try and encourage my clients, and I do it with myself, to, to find creative outlets that they can also focus on my big passion is photography. Um, I've dramatically changed my expectations, having started my life, my career as being very conventional and frankly materialistic. Um, I've now abandoned materialism completely. Um, I'm much more keen on, on embracing uh, nature and adventure. And so in years gone by, I'd have enjoyed getting all dressed up and, and frequenting swanky restaurants. Now, frankly, you're much more likely to, to find me on a very remote beach with a, a bunch of, uh, or a small bunch of really close friends, um, completely naked often, um, just chilling out and embracing nature. Um, I've actually got a, um, a Land Rover Defender that I've converted to be a camper. I've got a rooftop tent and I've kitted all that with survival kit, cooking kit, camping kit, etc. And so um, for a couple of months a year, I go off um, adventuring, which um, I enjoy enormously. And then the other thing that I'm developing with clients is what I call a portfolio approach to relationships. What I found in my marriage is that I invested everything to do with, with me as a person in this woman. And so all of our friends were joint friends. All of my hobbies were hobbies that you know, I did with her. You know, we watched TV together. Everything, essentially, we, we did together. Um, and now, as I'm you know, at a very different stage of life, um, and you know, the whole sort of dating thing is, is so different than it was 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, um, I'm working hard to work out who I am now. And so I'm deliberately going off-piste and doing things that I've, I've never done before and meeting people that I've never met before and um, just embracing a very different side of, of life to help me understand exactly who I am now. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's, the adventure continues, frankly. It's, 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 it's been quite a roller coaster ride, but I, I have to say I've got to a uh, stage now where um, I've reconnected with, with myself and, and I really like myself again, which um, has got to be the, uh, the aim of the game for, for most of us, I think. Absolutely. And what a journey, Stuart. What a journey. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. And where can people find you? Um, so I have a, a website at www.stuartcook, uh, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, 
cookwithoutany.me. Um, I also write a lot on Quora, where I think that the URL there is stuart-cook-2. Um, and so people will be able to, to get a, a really good feel of my views, what I'm all about, you know, what I'd advise. Um, and, and obviously that's for free. So it's a whole lot of, you know, it's a fantastic free resource that people can avail themselves of. But if they want to come and talk to me as well, then I'd be only too delighted to, to talk to them. Brilliant. Well, Stuart, thank you so much for being so honest and so open and so generous and for sharing with me how you mind others and all the amazing work that you do and how you mind you and best of luck with everything that you do in the future. Brian, it's very, very kind of you. I've greatly enjoyed being on. The, uh, the, the battle for all of us, I think, continues. It's great. They're all on the same page. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Many thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Mind You, and I hope you've learned about the benefits of holistic self-care. Please like, subscribe, and follow Mind You Podcast wherever you listen to it. And please share it so we can keep the ripple effect of holistic self-care going out to the world. You can find me and Mind You at brianbarneswellbeing.com.